The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. And let's pray and ask God's blessing on his word together this morning. And Father, as we've now read this text and as we spend the next hour discussing it, looking at it, investigating it, Lord, we pray that it would not just be us investigating it, but that your word would truly be searching out our hearts, that it would be shining light into dark places, God, that we would be learning from Peter and from his mistakes, from his denial of you, Lord Jesus, that we would not walk in the same ways that Peter walked, that we would hold fast to you. God, that we would be able to take lessons from this text and apply them readily to our lives, that we might be changed, that we might be warned, that we might be corrected, that we might be trained in the way that we should walk. And so we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to work through your word, to minister to us, to build us up in this most holy faith. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So my parents came up to visit, and they brought some of my childhood homework, and we had a a good time looking at a little of it, and uh, one of the papers that I wrote, Micah, I was 10 years old, and it was in September uh, when I was 10, so right about Micah's age, and this paper started as ruler of the world. And I went on to expound in my great 10-year-old ways of how I would rule the world. I mean, I think now they do principal for a day. Who wants to be principal when you can rule the world? Education is a good thing, and some of you don't have it, I wrote. Sports are a good thing because they keep kids off drugs. I was a pretty bright 10-year-old, wasn't I? (laughs) This is my English class, and I had to title this paper as well. And the title of this paper, my family knows, was Brilliant Ben. (laughs) Yes. But apparently my teacher didn't think I was quite that brilliant because she only gave me a B on the paper. But as a 10-year-old, I thought I had it figured out. Follow my lead, and I will make the world a better place. But unfortunately, there's been too much of that 10-year-old me that has survived these last 30 years as well. Too often thinking so highly of myself, thinking that I want things my way, I want them now. Why don't people see the way I see? Why are they wrong? And I'm right. Well, I think all of us, to one degree or another, could probably relate to this. It's it's our flesh. That's what it is. I want things my way. I want them when I want them. I see things in a particular way. And why can't everybody else just get on board with this. Do any of you others struggle with this human condition called the flesh? Well, in our passage this morning, Mark chapter 14, we see Peter in the flesh. And we see a spectacular failure as Peter really attempts in his own fleshly strength to stay faithful to his master. So if you look with me, we start out in Mark chapter 14, verse 66, with the statement, and as Peter was 
below in the courtyard. Now, if you've been tracking with us through Mark's gospel, you you have an understanding of of where this is and and what's been taking place so far. But before we get too far into this account and into this passage, I want to take a few moments. I think it's important that we understand just where we're at, that we set some context to this. So Jesus has just been captured in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has been brought to the place of the high priest to be examined. But even before this time in the garden where he was captured, Jesus, in sharing a meal with his disciples, told them that they would all fall away. Every one of you will fall away. And Peter, of course, Peter, he's the one that we never have to wonder what he's thinking, because he just says it. What's going through his mind? Oh, it's the same thing coming out of his mouth. What are his emotions? Oh, they're right there on his sleeve. Peter was that kind of a man, and so he speaks up. He tells Jesus, I will not fall away. In fact, I'm even willing to die for you rather than to deny you. And so when they're there in the Garden of Gethsemane, when when Judas came with his great crowd wielding swords and clubs, Peter, John in his gospel, he tells us that it was Peter that pulled out a sword and took off the ear of the high priest's servant. He was determined. He was serious in his commitment. Peter had told Jesus, I will not deny you. And look at how serious I am about this. They come to capture you. I'm going to fight for you, Jesus. I'm willing even to die with you. So he pulls the sword. He goes for the high priest's servant. He cuts off his ear. He was determined to do everything within his power to not deny Jesus. And then when Jesus was brought to the high priest and and there examined, Peter followed at a distance. He wasn't going to leave. No, he was going to even go into the place of the enemy. He follows at a distance right into the courtyard, and we're told that he even sits at the fire right beside the guards. This is a, a bold move. This took some guts for Peter to do that, to go into the courtyard when, when Jesus just there is put on trial, is being examined. Peter was doing everything within his power to not deny Jesus. But you see, there's the problem, isn't it? That Peter was doing everything within his power. Let's go back to the garden. Do you remember as they were there in the garden, Jesus and his disciples And they go in, and then Jesus goes in a little further with Peter, James, and John. So the 12, the 11 disciples, Judas had already gone. The 11 disciples go into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. And then Jesus says, Peter, James, John, I want you to come in just a little bit further into the Garden with me. I have instructions specific to the three of you. And so they go in a little bit further, and Jesus tells them, remain here and watch. And then Jesus goes even further to a part, a place apart by himself to pray. And he comes back to Peter and James and John, and do you remember? He finds them sleeping. They didn't remain and watch, no, no. They went to sleep. And when he comes back, 
and he finds them sleeping. Look with me at Mark chapter 14, verse 37 and 38. This is what he says. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It was Peter and James and John that had gone further into the garden, were given the instruction to remain here and watch. And when they fell asleep and Jesus came back to them, he directs his words to Peter. Why did he tell Peter about the weakness of his flesh? Why did he speak directly to Peter about the need to watch and to pray in order to avoid temptation? James and John were right there, and, and certainly these were equally as true for James and for John. But I believe that Jesus, with the foreknowledge of what Peter was about to encounter, especially needed to tell Peter to not trust in his own strength, in his own power, but rather to pray and to depend on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, you especially need to watch and to pray so that you don't enter into temptation. So it's at this point in the story where we're, we're picking up this morning. Peter has gone into the courtyard. He's still behaving in a way that, that's pretty bold. He's huddled around the fire with the guards, shoulder to shoulder, the light of the fire illuminating their faces. Can, can you picture that in the darkness of the night there in the courtyard of the high priest and Jesus is being falsely accused. But Peter, for all of his strength, is about to run out of steam. He's been doing it, wielding swords, going into courtyards, standing bravely at the enemy's fire, but he's about to run out of steam. Chinks are beginning to show in his armor. The weakness of his flesh is going to become so very apparent. And so we read in verse 66, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. This little servant girl, Peter, we think of him as the, the big burly fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. So bold, wielding a sword. So bold, going into the courtyard of the high priest, standing with the guards at the fire. And a little servant girl, I recognize you. You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. And look at Peter's response in verse 68. We read there that he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the cock crowed. So the servant girl questions Peter, and what does Peter do? I don't understand. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. He pleads ignorance, and then he resorts to avoidance. I don't know what it is that you're talking about, and I just need to separate myself now from this place. I need to go somewhere else where it'll be a little cooler. The heat is turned up too much here by the fire. These can be common tactics of our flesh, can't they? I don't understand what you're talking about. 
Someone asks maybe a tough question of you, or maybe they bring up a topic that we're uncomfortable with, and we claim, I'm sorry, I don't think I heard you. Oh, look at the time. I have to go. That's basically what what Peter is doing here. This is Peter's first compromise. His denial is really just avoidance, pleading ignorance. I'm not sure I understand the question, little servant girl. I need to go. And he leaves. I don't understand. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And he leaves that place. Peter's first denial. And at this point, Peter has sinned. He has denied his Lord. Peter is weak in his flesh, and he doesn't even stand up to the inquiry of a little servant girl. And going back to Jesus' words to Peter, I want to say that this is largely due to Peter's lack of dependence upon God in prayer. Jesus told him, watch and pray. Peter, you want to do battle for me? You want to prepare yourself? You want to do what's right? It's not in pulling a sword. It's not in following at a distance and going boldly into the courtyard of the high priest and standing next to the guards at their fire. No, Peter, if you really want to make a difference for the kingdom, stay here and watch and pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus told him, watch and pray, but instead he resorted to sword-wielding, And fire sitting, those are the kinds of things that that we think of as movement, of action. That's how we're going to get some results. We pull a sword. No, you want results. According to what Jesus said to Peter, you pray. That's where real movement, that's where real action is at. In prayer. So this is Peter's first denial, and as we work through this text, we're going to see three denials. But understand, this is not Peter's first sin. His first sin, I would say, that he... It was a sin of omission. I want to say committed, but that'll confuse the whole thing. His first sin was not something that he actually did. It was something instead that he didn't do that he was supposed to. It was a sin of omission. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And Peter didn't do that. That was his first sin, It was a sin of omission. That was something that he was supposed to be doing that he didn't do. And because he sinned in that way, failing to pray, this then led to him committing this sin of denial, denying that he was one of the disciples of Jesus. So do you understand this, what a a sin of omission is? We omit something. We don't do something that we have been commanded to do. And in, in Peter's case, watch and pray. Those were the words of Jesus to Peter, watch and pray. And he didn't do that. You see, God's word, church, is full of instruction for us about what we should be doing. Prayer. We are commanded in Scripture to pray. And to not pray is sin. Scripture reading, giving, evangelizing, fasting. These are all things that are commanded in Scripture, and that's only a few. We could go on with many more, but when we leave off what it is that we are supposed to be doing, 
then don't be surprised if you have a hard time resisting those things that you're not supposed to do. Sins of omission will naturally lead to sins of commission, sins that you commit, things that you do that are sinful. I think this is helpful for us, even as we try to understand our, our own struggles against sin. Is there something that you're struggling with, something that you know you've been convicted about? God, I want to stop this. But you really struggle? You keep picking it back up? You keep finding yourself drawn into it? You might want to ask, is there something that I'm not doing that I've been told I should be doing? Not just I want to stop committing this sin, but is there something that I'm not doing that I know I should be? Maybe the reason you're struggling with committing this sin is because you're sinning in another way by leaving off something that you should be doing that would be good and helpful for your soul. Again, just a few of these prayer, scripture reading, giving, evangelizing, fasting, worshiping, serving. Is there something that's been omitted in your life? And now as you keep butting up against this sin that you keep committing, you think, I don't know why I can't overcome this. This might be a helpful question to ask. Is there something I know that I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not? So instead, the emphasis needs to be less on stop doing this and more on start doing this. That will build you up. In godliness, it'll fortify your soul and make you desire more of the things of God. So when that sin that you keep being drawn to then comes back, when that temptation arises, you look at it and you say, it's not that attractive anymore. It's not that magnetic as it was before. I'm not drawn to it in the same way because my affections have changed. As I have been doing the things that God has commanded me to do, it's cultivated this love for him in my heart and in my soul. And I want those things so much that those other things, oh, they're really not all that attractive or appealing any longer. Well, Peter didn't do what he should have done, and so it leads him to doing what he shouldn't have done. And this only progresses further. That's the way that sin works. That's the way it happens when we are working in our flesh. The harder we try, the more we fail. And so we come to this second account of Peter's denial, verse 69, and the servant girl saw him, and began again to say to the bystanders, I, can you picture this maybe teenage servant girl? And she's just watching Peter like she is just locked on to him. I know who you are and I'm going to get it out tonight. And, I, and I'm going to ask you, first of all, are you with him? You are. No, no, Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. And he leaves. And, and then even at a distance, she's there with the bystanders. You see that guy over there in the dark? He's one of the disciples. That's what she's doing. But again, he denies it. This man is one of them, she says. Verse 70, Peter responds, again, he denied it. This progression of accusation. There's an increase in pressure, and so there's a stronger denial. The first time, Peter, it was a pretty weak denial. It was a denial, but it was pretty weak. It was, it was just a claim to ignorance. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand what you mean. But no, now, Peter's not pleading ignorance. This is just flat out 
denial. Maybe he thought that with the first question that he could just kind of squirt his way around it. Leave the heat, change the subject, and I'll be all right. But now he, he started down this path of not identifying himself with Jesus, and it becomes even more difficult to course correct. I've started walking this path. I can't change my tune now. I need to see this all the way through. I'm determined. And that's the flesh. I'm determined to do this, to get my way. And so as the pressure builds, as the accusations become even more direct, as more people get involved, now it's not just a little servant girl, but also all the bystanders, all the people that are there in the courtyard around. And this little servant girl is getting them all involved. And Peter just makes this flat-out denial. He denied it. The second part of verse 70, And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Accusations. Is this getting easier for Peter? Is this something that Peter is going to be able to pull off in his flesh, in his own strength? Right? If you just hold this line, if you're stubborn long enough, it'll happen. It'll work. No, it's not getting easier for Peter. The more he tries to do this in the strength of his own flesh, the more he's prone to failure. The accusers have escalated. Now all of the bystanders are chiming in as well, identifying Peter as one of those that was with Jesus. He was undeniably associated with Jesus. They know you were with him. You are a Galilean. And Peter, in his response... Look at this. Read this with me in verse 71. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. This man? Isn't this Jesus? Isn't this your master? your rabbi, your teacher, your Lord. Peter, wasn't it you that said you are the Christ, the son of the living God? But here Peter says, I do not know this man. He doesn't even speak the name of Jesus I don't know this man of whom you speak. He's calling down curses on himself and swearing. I don't think these are necessarily curse words, like swear words, but he's making solemn promises. That's what it is to swear. I guarantee that I don't know this man. And if I'm lying, God strike me dead. Those are the kinds of words that Peter's speaking. He's trying as hard as he can. He's putting on even these theatrics for his accusers. If I make a really big show of this, if I raise my voice and lift my arms, Maybe I'll be convincing enough that they will believe me. I am not one of them. I do not know this man of whom you speak. Just hours earlier, Peter was so sure of himself. Just hours earlier, he was so confident, I will never deny Jesus. I will even die with you. And look at how quickly that has changed. 
How quickly that has changed. It's the same day. It's the night that Peter spoke those words. And when the pressure gets turned on, when, when the heat gets turned up, you see, when, when expectations don't match up and mesh with reality, that's what Peter's experiencing. I'll die for you, Jesus, and I'll pull my sword, and now let's go take Jerusalem and set up the kingdom of God here in this place and at this time. But that wasn't God's plan. That was Peter's plan. That was, that was Peter's idea. If I was ruler of the world, can you relate? Have, have you ever found yourself in a place that you never thought that you would be? How did I get here? How did I get so far down? How did I get so far away? Maybe mired in something you didn't think you ever could be mired in. Church, I, I hope that for all of us, we can, we can relate to Peter in this way. That we recognize the weakness of our flesh is surprisingly weak. Not that we can relate to him in, in denying Jesus, but in seeing Wow, when I, when I try to do things in my own flesh, look at what happens. This is shocking. Peter, who seemed so strong, and now it's just weak. There's, there's no substance there. This is not the big, bold fisherman devoted to Jesus. He's been shrunk down. I, I hope that we learn this so that, that we learn to not trust in our flesh. Because that's what Peter was doing. All through here, I'm going to find a way. First, just some avoidance, pleading a little bit of ignorance. Well, that didn't work. I need to try a little harder. And what does the flesh say? Speak a little louder. Be a little more flamboyant just flat out denies that he's associated with Jesus. Well, that didn't work either. I need to turn it up more. The flesh then comes out even more. God, strike me dead if I'm lying. I do not know this man. And as soon as Peter spoke these words, verse 72, we read, immediately the cock a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. That's the end of, of our passage this morning. That's, that's how this account ends that Peter remembers the words of Jesus. And he breaks down. And he weeps. Peter's broken. I want you to see, by the grace of God, Peter breaks down. By the grace of God, Peter weeps. The, the language here is, is interesting. It means when it says that he is broken down, that he breaks down Something like throw down or, or struck. Have you ever had an impact? Maybe you've impacted with something or you've fallen and impacted the ground or maybe something large has fallen on you and the wind is knocked out of you and you're just gasping, breath, I need air. The wind is knocked out of you. The, the picture, as I was trying to imagine this, I was thinking of like this vine-ripened tomato, big and, and fat and so juicy that the skin on it is just about to 
burst open. And this amazing tomato, just getting smashed with a two by four. And, and all of the insides go out, it's decimated, it bursts open, it's broken apart, there's juice splattering everywhere, there are tomato seeds finding their way into all kinds of nooks and crannies. If you can picture that, I think you can get some kind of an idea, a visualization of what was taking place inside of Peter at this very moment. And he broke down and wept. There's this bursting inside of him. Now Luke, in his gospel, he records for us that it is right after Peter's third denial that Jesus makes eye contact with Peter. That right at that moment, I do not know this man of whom you are speaking And Jesus is able to look across, and Peter is able to look back, and they see each other. He remembers Jesus' words, predicting his denial, and Luke says that he went out and wept bitterly. It wasn't a look of condemnation. I, I think about that look of Jesus looking at Peter. It wasn't a look of condemnation. The Bible tells us that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. And this look here, and this conviction, brings Peter to a place of brokenness. He broke down and wept. It was the Holy Spirit working by the power of God's Word. Do you see that? What is it that Peter remembers in verse 72? The rooster crows a second time, and Peter remembers what? He remembers the words that Jesus had spoken to him. He remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And that is what breaks him. The Holy Spirit bringing to remembrance the word of God for Peter. The words of Jesus, which are the words of God. And how did he remember these words at this moment, except for the grace of the Holy Spirit bringing these words to his remembrance? Not condemnation. Condemnation comes from our enemy. Condemnation comes from the one who wanted to sift Peter like wheat. But Jesus says, I have prayed for you, Peter. And those prayers were effectual so that Peter, at this moment, he was not destroyed. He was not condemned. He was broken. Broken, yes. But destroyed, no. I'm reminded of, of Paul's words in his second letter to Timothy about the word of God, about scripture, that all scripture is breathed out by God. That is, it is inspired by God. It comes from God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. And here the word of God is working effectually in Peter as the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance those words of Jesus bringing about correction reproof so that Peter can recognize the error of trying to do all of this in his flesh trying his hardest to do the right thing to make things happen but he didn't even know what the right thing was instead of trusting in God's power and trusting in the Spirit. So Peter is broken. But Peter's not destroyed. And I want us to, to understand that this morning. That Peter's broken, but he's not destroyed. If you were to go into my son's room 
you'll find a green tackle box or an old green toolbox sitting on his desk. And if you open up that box, you aren't going to find any lures or any bait, any worms from, from past fishing trip now all shriveled up. No, there's none of that in there. What you're going to find are all sorts of parts and pieces from broken electronics. My son is always looking around. Is that broken? And he claims it. And then he goes to his desk and he gets out his tools and he takes it apart. It's broken. But he knows there's a lot in here that I can do a lot of good with. It's broken, yes, but it's not destroyed. A switch, an LED, a power source, these are all things that I can, I can pull out of these broken electronics. And each of these parts and pieces that came from broken down electronics, they've been redeemed. They're not destroyed. In fact, in Joel's eyes, these electronics are even better. I mean, who wants an alarm clock when, when you can take the guts of the alarm clock, especially an alarm clock that didn't even work before? And you can do all sorts of things. You can get lights flashing. You can get switches working. To Joel, these electronics are even better because now he can take them down to their basics. And he can rebuild them in all sorts of creative and, and useful ways. Peter's brought to his basics. He's broken down. But he's not destroyed. He's broken. Finally. Finally. Oh, if Peter wasn't broken and if he just continued marching in his flesh, who can imagine where it would have led him? But Peter is finally broken. Terribly. Painfully. Completely. He goes out and he weeps bitterly. Peter is broken beautifully, mercifully, graciously. Peter is broken redemptively, brought to his basics. To borrow a phrase from John Piper, this is a sweet and bitter providence that God is intervening here in Peter's life it's not pleasant for Peter. These are bitter tears that he is weeping. He is broken down, but he has finally reached the end of himself. Think ahead with me. After the Gospels, after the resurrection, after the ascension of Jesus, and he tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit would come. Do you remember on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down upon the believers gathered there? Who was it that stood up and spoke? It was Peter. And was this Peter in his flesh? Peter's a changed man. Peter, in his preaching to this great crowd that is assembled and wondering what is going on with these people, Peter speaks up, stands up boldly, and addresses them with a message of grace and a message of forgiveness. He speaks to them the words of the gospel. He tells them about Jesus who died, who rose again. This Jesus God raised up. 
And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is Peter preaching a message of repentance and a message of forgiveness Because Peter himself has experienced this. Church, there is no Pentecost Peter without going back and recognizing the Peter in the priest's courtyard. In the courtyard of the high priest and what Peter experienced here. His message at Pentecost is not one of spiritual superiority. It's one of forgiveness. He was no longer debating about who was the greatest among the disciples. He was a man who had been broken, and he is preaching repentance for sinners and salvation by the grace of God through the work of Jesus. I wouldn't prescribe this or wish this, on anyone, a season or an occasion of denial like Peter had. But I do recognize that God's grace is greater. And God even works through this, this event, this time, this denial for Peter was formative for, for Peter. That he finally reached the end of himself and he realized, like, we all need to realize that our flesh will only lead us to failure. But he finally reaches the end. He breaks down and he weeps. And this was the beginning of restoration. This was the beginning of of repentance. This was the beginning. This was a new beginning for Peter where he would be restored, where he would be effective and used in mighty ways by the hands of God for the building up of the church. You are Peter, Jesus said to him. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But it wasn't when Peter was thinking that he himself was the rock. I'm pretty strong. I'm going to do this in my own strength. I've got the power to perform. No, it's when he was broken, when he depended upon the Holy Spirit when he was brought to repentance before God. And that's the place that Peter is at here as we end Mark chapter 14. I remember the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That was what Peter was trying to do. Live according to the flesh, perform things in his own power. But Paul doesn't stop there. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And Peter found life here as he was broken, as he was brought to his basics. And God used Peter 
not in the power of his flesh, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the power of the gospel in great and in mighty ways. And the same is available for us, church. We don't depend upon ourselves. If we look to God, if we depend upon him, if we continue to walk in what he has commanded us to walk in, if we delight ourselves in him, he'll use us in so many great and marvelous ways and we'll find ourselves finding even more delight and joy in walking with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this account of Peter, a heartbreaking account, seeing all that Peter did and seeing what Peter failed to do, failed to watch, failed to pray, and instead ended up committing such grievous sins. But Father, we thank you that we know he was not condemned. Convicted, yes. Heartbroken, indeed. Weeping bitter tears, but this is precisely where Peter needed to be so that he could be repentant, so that he could be restored, that he could be useful in your kingdom for the building of your church. And Father, I pray for our church, for Pillar Bible Fellowship. Lord, we are part of that promise that Christ made that he would build his church. And you are doing that work among us and in us, and you are doing that work through us. And I pray for us, Father, that we would not try to do that in our own flesh, in our own strength, that we would be people who are broken. We would be people who are confronted with our sin and brought to you on our knees that we would be quick to repent and to walk in that grace of repentance and forgiveness that we know is ours through the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the adoption that we have partaken of by the Holy Spirit, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Continue to keep us humble, Continue to keep us meek and lowly and looking to you, not depending on ourselves. Lord, draw us near to you and show yourself to be strong and mighty and awesome. Lord, bring glory to your name through our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.